0: We uh, are working through Let the Bible Speak, and we're certainly going to let it speak here in this passage that uh, is in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So it's the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's on the screen, uh, and if you want to look it up in your own Bible or pull it up on your phone or whatever, then do that um, so it can stick with you here. So I'm reading now the uh, translation, the New Revised Standard Version, the NRSV. Now. As they went on their way, Jesus and the disciples, that is. Now, as they went on their way, he, Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, I believe we've lost a moment. I believe we've lost a sacred moment right now in culture. I believe we've lost a sacred moment. I believe we have lost a sacred sacrament of the present moment in culture. What do I mean? I mean, here we are in a pandemic. We got racial strife this summer. And we have failed to see God right here, right now, in the present moment. In the sacred moment. There's too many other things. Barking at us and yelling at us and telling us to get our attention and people are in conflicts over masks and politics. As a matter of fact, everything's just become left and right and partisanship. It's been this way for a while. I feel like partisanship is our only lens right now into the present moment. Anybody else feeling that way? Like, it's just politics, left and right. That's all we hear. Like, that's the only way we can see the world right now? That's it? Seems like a really narrow way to see things. that's why I think we've lost a moment. The left keeps yelling at us about how everybody's wrong and they don't get it. And you know, everybody's just doing it wrong. And then the right keeps running up the flag like everybody's supposed to know what that means, you know, because it's inside their head. And then the secular left comes back and then they take every, you know, they take the righteous high ground you know, and they become secular moral fundamentalists. That's what I call it. Secular moral fundamentalist, Not religious fundamentalists, like secular fundamentalists. And then the right believes that they have no responsibility but their own individual self and everybody ought to just back off. You know, like that's somehow their right. So I'm convinced we've lost a moment. You kind of feel this itching at you, right? Because you don't want to start tweeting right now. And you're like, this is what I'm talking about. We've lost that moment. We've lost this moment, this sacred moment. Each day, everyone is a gift. Each day is a divine gift of God. Each and every day, and we've we've lost this perspective. Each day is a gift of God. Each day when we wake up, when the sun comes up until it goes down and into the evening is like we've enter into a cathedral. You know, like the day is a cathedral, a place where we worship God. And we enter into this cathedral and it's full of pictures and wonders and murals and tapestries and symbols and the smells and the bells all around us. And we're missing the moment. We're missing God's presence. Many times I've quietly sat in the uh, basilica up at Conception Abbey near Maryville, a couple hours away. I've sat in there on, a, like, say, a Saturday afternoon. The dust is drifting through the sunlight. It's just quiet. Nobody's in there. You could take a nap. I sit there sometimes and don't think anything. Sometimes I journal. Sometimes I read a book. Sometimes I just look around. And invariably, as I'm sitting in there, all quiet, nobody around, in comes in, like, sometimes a busload of tourists, because the basilica is like a destination, because it's really cool. I mean, tons of tourists come into the basilica while I'm sitting there, you know, like, trying to look like a monk, and uh, they start snapping pictures and speaking at street volume, you know, and they're talking to each other. Bob, Sue, look at that. That must have cost a fortune. Whoa, how do you change that light bulb up there? You know, it's so far up there. You know, they just walk around. They don't even pay attention to me. I, I mean, I get it. It's an illustration, right? You know, they're tourists and I'm trying not to be. And that's uh, okay. You know, I, I understand. My, my thought is, is, As an illustration, I feel like in our world, we've all become tourists instead of worshipers. We've forgotten God because we're too worried about fighting over masks. I suppose our entire culture is just in one big Martha moment. You know what I mean, a Martha moment? Distracted by our many tasks, Jesus, tell Mary to help me and tell her to go get her mask on. You know? But the Lord answered her, Martha, 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 Martha. You're worried and distracted by many things, and there is only need of one thing. And Mary has chosen that one thing, the better part, which will not be taken away from her. I wish we could choose the better part. I wish I could choose the better part. <clears throat> I wish we'd all sit at the feet of Jesus during this time. It's actually during crisis is the time we sit at the feet of Jesus. One thing necessary. One thing necessary. Years ago, I, I found I was reading an author, Thomas Merton, and he didn't translate it as one thing necessary. He used Latin because he's a monk, and Thomas Merton said "unum est necessarium, unum est necessarium," and. I, like, it's always helpful if they put it in parentheses afterwards, like, you know, one thing necessary. Unum necessarium means in Latin, one thing necessary. I don't speak Latin. Anybody here have to take Latin at any point? One, with a head nod and tears. No. Uh, you know, like, who studies Latin? So, my daughter's studying Latin by her own free will. Durr. Uh That's crazy. So... Unumas necessarium. It means one thing. Here, say it with me just so you can sound like you know Latin. Ready? Unumas necessarium. Oh, yes. You guys are all monks now. So, one thing necessary. I don't know what it is about saying something in a foreign language like carpe diem or whatever that suddenly either makes you sound smart or sticks in your brain or you wonder, what what does that mean? But nonetheless... I started saying it because I read it in a book, and I'm like, yeah, that kind of sticks with me. I somehow couldn't remember to say one thing necessary. There's only one thing necessary, you know? But all it made me think of was that guy, Krusty, or whatever his name was, from City Slickers, where he says there's just one thing, and then he died in that cowboy show, you know? And, uh, and uh, was that his name, Krusty? I don't know, it doesn't matter. So I'm just thinking, like, Unimus Necessarium kind of sticks with me makes me slow down, roll it around in my head. It kind of became a uh, it became a walking prayer. When I'd go out and take a walk or whatever and uh or I'm sweeping the garage or cleaning something or pulling weeds and I start thinking about God and I'd think like unamiss Necessarium. Yeah, that's what I need. I need just I need to just sit at the feet of Jesus. That's about 10 years ago I started you know, you get a traveling prayer, right? A walking prayer. Something that kind of comes to your brain. A scripture or something. Mine was Unimus necessary One thing necessary. Mary's chosen it, Mary, uh, Jesus said. We think we live in a hard time. The Jews of Jesus' time were living in a much, much harder time. I mean, and it had been that way for a long, long, long. Generations and generations of hard time and crisis." The Jews at Jesus' time were living under the the crush of the Roman Empire. They were not in charge of their own destiny. They had it a heck of a lot worse. The Roman Empire is crushing them with taxes and armies. Moreover, the Roman Empire was trying to get rid of other people's cultures and turn them all into Roman citizens, right, as Roman subjects. So for the Jews, that's a huge deal because the Romans accused them of all being country bumpkins because they believed in only one God. Which sounds weird to us, even if you're not a Christian. And because the Romans had a whole pantheon of gods, right? And so they're trying to, the Romans are trying to get the Jews to stop believing in all that. And become Romans. Become Romanized, right? Each day for the Jews, it was a life and death struggle. Each and every day. They were stressed out. They were freaked out. And people were desperate and so you have the different types of reactions to crisis just like we're having today in our own crisis stuff. So you had Barabbas, you know, the guy who got free instead of being crucified and Jesus took his place, right? The, the prisoner, the criminal who was freed. Barabbas, who his idea and the reason why he was going to get nailed up to a cross was he took up the sword in revolt. He says, I'm just, we're just going to get a bunch of people and if we all just pick up the sword, we're going to drive these Romans out of here. That was a piece of fiction. Some Jews just turned to cronyism, right? The Sadducees, they were rich, they were in power, and they swung sweet deals for themselves with the Romans to to kind of feather line their own nests. That was the Sadducees. They just kept it all to themselves, right? The Pharisees, they had a different reaction to the Romans, and they said they thought that God would deliver them from the Roman Empire, and from oppression if everybody in the country and the entire nation would just obey the Torah, the law. If we we'll all get back to being extremely obedient to God's law, then we'll all get set free. So what did they do? They turned into the religious fundamentalists of the day. They went around just jumping on everybody about what they were doing wrong. They, like, they became oppressors themselves of their own brothers and sisters. But then there were other Jews that just gave up. They paid a huge amount of money to become Roman citizens and just moved out of the country and moved somewhere else in the Roman Empire and just said, like, whatever, I'll just do what Rome does. I mean, who could blame them? It was hard trying to keep the faith. it's hard for us to keep the faith right now. It's hard for us to do unum es necessarium, the one thing only, to sit at the feet of Jesus right now. Too many other voices. What a perfect time back in 30, 33 AD for Jesus to come back. People, scholars often ask, why then? Why the Messiah then? It's like, well, it didn't get any worse. Far worse than we have it. It seemed like a perfect moment just as the nation was slipping away for the Messiah to come. And say, now is the sacred moment. Now is the time for God. And that's what I'm trying to communicate to us today. There's even a little book called, this is it, super thin. It's a classic. It's called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. It's a spiritual read uh, written by a French uh, Jesuit priest uh, in about 1730. So it's a few hundred years old. And uh, it's not in Latin. So it's cool, um, but uh, the the title kind of says the entire content of the book: the sacrament of the present moment. It means every moment is like a sacrament; it's a sacred moment, and we can capture the entire day by every moment of the day being like a sacred moment. You know, sacrament of the present moment is just learning about how to sit at the feet of Jesus and see the world differently. the The author. He was utterly consumed with this idea of self-surrender. That all of this sitting at the feet of Jesus begins with self-surrender. You've got to surrender to yourself if you want to experience peace. That's the way it works. And he writes this. He writes this. Oh, boundless submission. We have to submit to Christ, he's saying. Oh, boundless submission. It is you that draws God deep into my heart. Let the senses feel what they may. You, Lord, are all my good. And then he says this. Do what you like to this tiny being. Let it act. Be inspired and be the object of your purpose. Do what you may, Lord, to this tiny being. I haven't ever read a a spiritual giant, you know, some Hall of Fame spiritual writer or some awesome spiritual person. Every one of them begins with this idea that they're a tiny being. That they're nothing. Peace begins with the idea that you, you you don't have anything, you don't deserve anything, you don't get anything. It's not about you. We are all just tiny beings. That's the beginning of the spiritual journey, right there. This little book about reckless abandonment to God—that each moment, all day, is nothing but a submission to God. It's a little book about reckless abandonment to God. One thing, one thing necessary, the sacrament of the present moment. We all have to become tiny beings. The best model is John the Baptist, right? John, the gospel of John chapter three, verse 30. Easy enough to memorize. What's John say about Jesus? He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. I need to become a tiny being, not much. It's not about me. He must increase. I must decrease. I wonder how different our world, our circumstances would be these days. If we captured each moment as a sacred moment, as a sacrament, like, like every day when we woke up, the world is a window into God's presence, like we've entered into the cathedral. I wonder how different the world would be and you know, Actually, it's probably not too hard to imagine if Christians actually sat at the feet of Jesus as opposed to getting swept up in all the chaos all around them. We'd become more serious-minded Christians, and we would begin to see every, every moment as a sacred moment. We'd become tiny beings. We'd begin to rest. We'd begin to, to have peace in our soul. And it would emanate out, and it would spread, and it would, get, it would get spread all around us if all of us were just peaceful as Christians. If we had some element of seeing each and every moment of the day as a moment of worship, like we were in a cathedral, like we were in God's presence, we'd have a more peaceful world wouldn't we? Christians would become peacemakers instead of entitled complainers like everybody else. Sure, more peaceful. That'd be a model to look at. What about Christians modeling Jesus's sacrifice and going into unfamiliar places and just serving and listening like going into the east side of KC down by the Hope Center? Just picking up some trash. Something small. Something insignificant, something that nobody would give you a merit badge for. That would change the world, wouldn't it? If enough of us as Christians began to just sit at the feet of Jesus, maybe we'd do that stuff. We'd sacrifice. You want to know about sacrifice? One of the best books around. It's actually kind of a pretty thick book. It's really, really old. It's called Foxes because it's written by a guy named Fox. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Every Christian ought to have Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's like a Reader's Digest type book. It's not like uh, Once Upon a Time and Then They lived Happily Ever After. It's, It's a compendium of all the martyrs from the early church and on, 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 on down through the centuries. So, you know, sometimes the entries are just a line or two long, and other times it's several pages long. Story after story of Christians dying for their faith. Sometimes because of belief, but more often just simply because they were trying to love somebody else and somebody didn't like it. And you read that book, A Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you begin to get the right perspective on the world. Die to yourself. I'm just a tiny being. One thing's necessary. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Compassion, everyone. Christians sitting at the feet of Jesus become compassionate people and we need compassion these days. I can't tell you how many times I've I've picked up a book like this one like Sacrament of the Present Moment or some other author like Henry Nowen or like I said Thomas Merton or uh, somebody else like that, Thomas Green, one of my favorite authors all these sort of Hall of Fame spiritual experts, and every one of them, every Hall of Fame spiritual expert in all of these books that I've run across, they all do this really, really weird thing. Here they are, these spiritual giants, you know, like I can't hold a candle to their prayer life and stuff, and every one of them get around to saying like, okay, there's something I can't explain. When you practice solitude and silence and fasting, And praying the Psalms together or going for a walk and repeating a phrase like unum es necessarium or whatever. If you do these habits and these disciplines and these practices, you become a more compassionate human being. And then every time they say like, I don't really understand the math involved in this. Solitude and silence produces compassion. Uh, The first time I read it, it, said, no, it doesn't. I'll tell you what produces compassion is get your fanny down to the inner city and serve somebody. That'll make you a compassionate person. I totally disagreed with him. Guess what? I was wrong. Solitude and silence, fasting, turns you into a compassionate person. And you can't explain it. My hunch is, the reason why it works is because when you sit at the feet of Jesus, you begin to look like, and sound like, and talk like, and act like Jesus. <laughs> Imagine that. That's your role model. You sit at the feet of Jesus, read what he says, pray, listen, and you begin to look like Jesus. You don't you no longer have to ask, "What would Jesus do?" You just become Jesus. It's what you are. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, as you guys probably know, said that we all have to die to our neighbor. I'm like, die to our neighbor, die to our neighbor. What do you mean die to our neighbor? I I understand the words, what does it mean? And Alan says, that's what Jesus did, he died to his neighbor, he died for all of us. This death to one's neighbor is what changes a life. If you can't die to your neighbor, you, you, you never get off the starting blocks. No one seems to want to die to their neighbor. Unless they spend time at the feet of Jesus. And then it becomes easy. I changed my job description back in 2008. I began to lead contemplative retreats, which a lot of people have been on around here. Because I began to realize how critical this was and how much it was missing that taking people off to solitude and silence was missing in the spiritual formation of people. It's critical especially in this day and age when everything is so driven by chaos and competition and confusion. Push people to the feet of Jesus and behold, they learn the unforced rhythms of grace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, which slays anxiety and worry. And you begin to realize each day, just like Jesus said, has enough worries of its its own. Just live one day at a time. That's what we all need to be doing right now during this pandemic and racial uh, strife. Die to our neighbor one day at a time. Sit at the feet of Jesus, unum es necessarium. I'm convinced, optimistically, because Jesus rose from the grave, that Christians will change the world. I believe that's the hope of the world. The church, Christians, is the hope of the world. But we've got to stop playing this partisanship game. You've got to stop listening to the demons of chaos and competition and learn to die to self. And then we'll begin to change the world, and Christianity will be seen as the hope of the world rather than a political faction. By the way, the political parties want to keep us as a political faction. It serves their ends. You know what I mean? And You've got to walk away from it. As the soul doctor I ask you to pursue one thing necessary. Habitually sit at the feet of Jesus. Turn off the news. This is not, a, not an idea. This is a command. <laughs> Turn off the news. Greatly limit your social media. And by greatly limiting your social media, I mean don't follow the thread. Every thread ends up in absurd idiocy the minute somebody mentions aliens. And then it's over. And no one's thinking anymore. So, refuse to follow the thread. Instead, walk the dog. Take a walk yourself. Walk yourself. Take a run. Do some yoga or something. Or just sit with no noise, no music, no geezer rock, no nothing. Just sit there. No podcast, no TED talk. No moment of, I need to learn something because I have a half hour. Just rest. Like you're in the cathedral of God, and all you have to do is watch the dust filter through the sun and see if it doesn't begin to heal your soul when you sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's how we'll change the world, everyone. That's how we'll become more compassionate and look like Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the world, that's our calling. And it's worked for centuries and centuries. And Sometimes it hasn't when Christians stop doing that. It's a pretty simple formula. Unum necessarium, sit at the feet of Jesus. Because everybody, the ultimate goal of spiritual perfection is to hold no opinion of another human being. I'll say it again. Spiritual perfection is to hold no opinion of another human being. You're like, that's impossible. Like, Yeah. With God, all things is possible. To hold no opinion of another human being is the goal of the spiritual life. That doesn't mean you don't point out wrong when wrong is wrong. It simply means you stop going around with a judgment-o-meter judging everybody. That's a goal. Amen.